those are the greatest expressions of who we are, is who we surround ourselves with. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the, the energy that, you know, I put off in, into the universe. And, and I take a lot of pride in my family members, our, our connectivity, our ability to communicate. And then that then extends to uh, my, friends, my friends' network and uh, have an open and honest dialogue and seeking uh, continuous improvement. And, and yeah, it, it takes a lot of courage to be around people who tell you that you're messing up. This week, we were joined on the Courageous Podcast by former NFL wide receiver, Brandon Lloyd. And honestly, this Berman is one of my favorite episodes that we've had so far. Yeah, was this fun or what? You know, we heard some stories of just like what it's like to be a player. But also, you know, if you really think back about Brandon's career, he played 10 years in the NFL. And just the where we took the conversation wasn't where I thought it would go. It was all about the reality of the ego. And how do you go from playing in front of 70,000 people to what you do next. And even hearing his story about his kids, right? That he's like, they're too nice to play in the NFL. I love that. Yeah. I mean, just his background and hearing about how he was raised the youngest of seven and the, the many different teams he played for throughout his career. And, and we really landed on adaptability and him coming out of the NFL and relearning what his identity meant in the world. I mean, he he goes pretty deep with us and sharing a lot of the work he's put in. And and the really unique thing here is that we're all facing these mental challenges together as a human race. And, you know, superstar NFL athlete is no different than any of us. I mean, that was really grounding and humbling, I think, uh, and just, uh, amazing that he's done so much work, not only physically, but emotionally and mentally as well. And I think if you ever had a boss who believed in you or had a boss who didn't believe in you and how that made you feel, we heard it all. And, and the beautiful thing about Brandon's story is well after some of the bosses who didn't believe in him, he put up a Pro Bowl year and like led the league in, uh, in yards. So it's such a great story. Uh, I think you're really going to like where we took it and you're going to like the real Brandon Lloyd. So I think the year was 2004 or five. You know better, Brandon. I think it was 2006, actually. So 2006. And, you know, I get a call from friends at ESPN and this is you know one of the normal things they do back then is they're happy you've spent money with ESPN and they want to show you this experience and when you live in San Diego one of the closer experiences is a NASCAR event in Arizona mm-hmm. and they're like hey we know you're a Redskins fan or I'm sorry Washington football team fan I think that's the uh, official name now come on out for a race and um and at the time, Joe Gibbs is, had his NASCAR team there as well. And so the deal was I was going to go hang out in the pit with the Gibbs crew. And on the way, I get to meet one of the starting wide receivers for my football team. I'm a fan, I'll admit it, which was Brandon Lloyd. 
And Brandon is here today on the Courageous Podcast. It's good to see you again, my friend. It's How great are to you? see you. I'm doing well, you know, uh, uh, all things considering. So it's, it's been good that we've still been in touch and we can get together on this platform. Isn't it funny how that works? It's like, hey, we met uh, so long ago, and yet, for some reason, I mean, I've met other, you know, celebrities, I've met other athletes, and yet, there was just something about that night, we just kind of hit it off and connected, and I've always said, Ryan, that there's something different about Brandon, it, it wasn't like this jock football player, uh, there was something deeper inside of him, that, um, and at the time, you were working on a, uh, an album, I believe, as well, correct? Yep. Yeah, I was uh, completing a hip-hop project uh, called Master of Ceremony. Uh, do you, are you still doing the music or no? No music. You know, I almost feel like it's a, such a, a young man's gig. Because <laughs> of some of the, the things that I record or the, the thoughts that would, had came to my mind and to be able to put them down on music, it takes a... Uh, a dip, the energy comes from a different realm to to compete like that on music. So I really found my outlets now that I don't have now that I'm not able to express myself that way through music are uh, public speaking engagements and uh, being able to do that uh, storytelling um, uh, through relevant subject matter and then the the storytelling of uh, life experience. So. Uh, I'm able to 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 have that outlet and also uh, writing. Um, we can get to that a little later. I thought it was uh, fun when I uh, went back to college as a non-traditional student and um, would get these writing prompts. And it was just, it, it was pretty exciting to go through those exercises of writing those papers. Well, I'm sure you've had some time to, you know, sit at home and think quite a bit. What, have you been writing? Have you been writing a lot during this period? spending some time doing that still um writing for work i think <laughs> right um uh, there's a lot of presentations that i'm that i'm doing now uh uh working in business development uh for intertech plastics here in denver um so i'm working in a, a medical device role for plastic injection molding and then having presentations that, that i'm putting together one internally for the team and then uh, to externally and to be able to bring in that information um, in a creative manner to keep people entertained one and motivated um, is another aspect of that so I, I've, I've been finding ways to to have that outlet without music but you know nothing replaces music I, I always felt like that was a um, the the highest form of expression so not only can i tell a story but i can tell it in rhyme and not only can i tell a story in rhyme but i can tell it uh over instrumentation so it you know it was for me it was just uh flat out an exercise of expression and and um it was uh, uh therapeutic also i mean you you go from uh i mean now you're on a very different team than you were growing up i mean growing up i mean at the highest point you know you're, you're playing on the team and you're playing in front of seventy thousand people mm -hmm. to the team that you're playing on now is has that been a hard transition or 
does it feel like a team still? Yeah, yeah. You're you're talking about their corporate environment. Is yeah. that's a, that's our comparison, right? It's um, it's it's the same. It's the, it's the same uh, goal oriented, and then other, and then each individual has their own motivations. Like some people are uh, looking to retire soon. Some people are just getting started. Uh, some people have uh, you know been traded to this team from another team that was and the and the other team was a little bit higher performing so this person's moving into a starting role and um then there's the existing leadership and the establishment so i i think that's a, a benefit of a person like me who's played for seven different professional teams is to to get in to an organization figure out how to win and be uh productive quickly and and understand the rules and understand and be coachable i think those are uh big qualities that um athletes at any level have when they transition into a team environment the the major difference is um well i guess the the things that i talk when people ask me what i miss most about the nfl you know the first thing is the violence you know it it um, that was a, a fantastic outlet uh, for physical aggression. Um, the second thing is being ap the absolute best at something, you know, bona fide the best. There's only, you know, 64 starting receivers in the NFL, and I was that for the majority of my, uh, of my career. And the third thing is the preparation. And, and so – uh, finding those outlets, you know, the, the uh, exercises, uh, vigorous exercise has been the main outlet for me is that is my medicine um, and uh, preparing me for my day and, and knocking the edge off. And uh, the preparation is the other part of it and uh, the studying and the research and the, the calling and the networking aspect is um, uh, being comparable. Let's go back to your very first team, though, which was was Team Lloyd, right? I mean, so you had – you're one of seven kids, I believe, correct? That's right. So, like, here's your first team. Where, where were you in the order? And tell me, tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in your house. Well, I was the last of seven. And um, there's a nearly 20-year difference between me and the oldest. So um, – my parents still swear to this day it wasn't an accident. They still meet. They <laughs> <laughs> but um, by the time I was uh, born, the five of them, five of the oldest were, three of them were already in college and out. Four of them were in college and out. And so when they would come home, it would be like, hey, Brandon, you want to go see an R-rated movie? You want, looks like you need some new shoes. You want some new jeans? You want to drive stick? You know, and I'm like 15 years old. <laughs> so I, I grew up in, 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 in a supportive, uh, loving family. Uh, we, we're still very tight-knit to this day, uh, especially during the pandemic. We've um, you know, the second week of the pandemic, we started doing a Zoom call every Friday. 
and uh, we're maintaining our closeness and uh, keeping in touch with our first cousins because we just have an, an enormous extended family uh, in Kansas City. So I grew up uh, around a lot of loving people, supportive, and um, they were uh, more the, the, the type to uh, support anything I was into, the, all the sports, all the music, um, the, my parents would, wouldn't miss any of the sporting events, uh, track and field, baseball, basketball, football, anything I was involved in. So I had a lot of support um, from uh, two very loving uh, and um, uh, two loving parents that held me accountable also. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, to get to the top level in any professional sport, you know, takes not only physical and uh, really like mental uh, capacity and, and just talent. But obviously like having a community like that to support you is important. But it also seems like another theme is that you're pretty adaptable. Do you think that comes from being the youngest of seven? I mean, you played for multiple teams. You've continued beyond your NFL career into a professional sense and adapted to that environment. Just curious, like, what are some of the things that have maybe been themes that have helped you continue to adapt and, and change as, as you've grown? I think there's an old adage. It's just, you know, something along the lines of um, a smart man learns from his mistakes. Uh-huh. A good man never learns from his mistakes, and a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. And... Uh, that's what I grew up on. And I, I saw uh, the mistakes of some of my siblings. I saw uh, mistakes from uh, older peers of my siblings. Then I saw the mistakes of, of my first cousins. And my father was uh, a type of leader where uh, he'd point those, he'd point them out and make examples of that. This is, the, um, you know, we'd be driving uh, through the inner city in Kansas City and he'd point a man out um, uh, who looks down on his luck on the corner and say, well, I, I went to high school with that man. And uh, uh, make sure you keep your nose clean, stay off drugs and alcohol, because you just never know if you could be addicted and end up like that. So it was always, it was those messages. And then he was very vocal about talking about the mistakes of the siblings. Here's where uh, they went wrong. Here's where one went wrong here. Here's where one went right here. Uh, this is the type of behavior that um, will be beneficial to you in the future. So they really um, uh, uh, drove in being aware. And I think that's, um, what you're talking about um, when you're talking about being adaptable. And so I was always uh, learning from other people's mistakes. One of my um, uh, uh, favorite things uh, that I heard when I was at the University of Illinois was a, a junior college transfer came onto our team. And, um, and Coach Ron Turner was not into uh, junior college transfers. He wanted uh, straight-laced high school students coming into the program. And then we kind of ran a little short on talent one particular letter and so we brought in a handful of junior college transfers 
this junior college transfer sitting in the locker room. It's like his first night in there. He's like just had his bags and we were in there greeting him. And, um, and he says, man, just tell me what don't to do. And I thought that was just so profound to start with that. Tell me what don't to do. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was just an, another little anecdote that I took that from there my second year and, and um, at the University of Illinois and kind of ran with that. Um, uh, aligning myself, um, for example, uh, coming off my uh, Pro Bowl year in Denver and going to uh, St. Louis uh, with the Rams, it was like, all right, who am I going to align myself with on this team? I was like, all right, let me go straight to the top and Steven Jackson. I got to earn his trust. I got to, I got to earn his seal of approval, uh, in the locker room, on the field and in the media in order for myself to have a good shot at this. And, uh, so picking the good role models to, to emulate was, was always, a, a another, uh, trait that I, I like to, um, uh, follow up on well it sounds like I mean your father sounded like a great role model and um, you talked about being prepared and how important that is and you know just one of the things related to courage is getting past your fears and and kind of managing your mind mm -hmm. and and really like also being on a team influencing those around you right to be successful together so I'm just curious and talked about kind of three areas where, where you're doing that to help yourself, but are, are there other things you do not only in football, but just in your professional life or with your family to really prepare your, prepare yourself mentally beyond just physically? Well, it's the, it's the, the, that was the example of Steven Jackson. It's the, the people I surround myself with. Um, those are the greatest of, those are the greatest expressions of who we are is who we surround ourselves with. Mm -hmm. And, and that is the, the energy that, you know, I put off in, into the universe and, and I take a lot of pride in my family members, our, our connected, our connectivity, our ability to communicate. And then that then extends to uh, my friends, my friends network and uh, have an open and honest dialogue and seeking uh, continuous improvement. And, and yeah, it, it takes a lot of courage to be around people who tell you that you're messing up. And then to say, oh, let, let me correct that. Or how do I correct that is an even better question because we, we you know, it's impossible for us to know everything. And uh, even our, our mentors and advisors have mentors and advisors and uh, not ever thinking that we're the, the, the top of knowledge, the, the best person, the source of all information. I think that's um, probably the underlying trait that my uh, mother and father and siblings passed on to me was that humility. Didn't matter how good I got in sports, I'm still the little brother. <laughs> it didn't it doesn't matter and um and i took a, i take a lot of pride in why uh where i came in the birth order and the leadership that i just acknowledged through observation that i carried on through my life you know you talked about um maybe is it a mistake 
or, or, or learning from your mistakes. At, at the time, you left school early, and I don't think your mom was real happy with that decision, right? That's right. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like and then how you convinced her, and did she give you any ultimatums? <laughs> well, you got to when, – when I put this in uh, context, it'll make sense um, – my parents left Kansas City in um, the mid-50s, and they moved to Los Angeles with two kids in tow, right? Uh, 17 and 18-year-olds got married, and my dad found out um, that if he moved to Los Angeles and lived there for one year, then the city will pay for his college education. And so... That was his plan. So he would, so he moved to Los Angeles, uh, went to seminary school, uh, worked night shift, and then eventually started uh, chipping away at his undergraduate while having more children in, in Los Angeles and trying to raise a family. And so for them, that's the only way for a, a young black man to succeed, a young black man and a young black all the young black women in our, in our family. But speaking to me is like for a young black man, you need to get your college education. You need to have that paper. No one can take it away from you. And then you can build off that in your life and have a career. So uh, with that humility and being the little brother, my, my, my plan for going to college was, you know, I was going to go to a, a school in a power five conference, um, that has a, a great broadcast journalism program. I'm play four or five years of college football, make a name for myself, do a little local radio, go to the, the next largest market, get on television somewhere, and then go national at some point in my career. And, uh, you know, I was hoping to be something like a mod Rashad, you know, and do, you know, something like inside the NBA. Like th that was my life plan um, going up into going through high school and into college. I, that's what I always wanted to do. So that's why I picked the University of Illinois was for I was my plan. That was my plan A. And my plan B was, look, I mean, they found Jerry Rice and Mississippi A&M's in the SWAC conference, you know, <laughs> historically black college. If I go to a power five school and I'm decent enough, I'll be found. <laughs> so um, uh, I always describe the, uh, my course of going to the, the NFL is the NFL happened to me. I was not seeking that out. You know, I, uh, off my second year of, um, after my first year on campus, uh, that second year, that summer, I fractured my femur and I was out. And uh, that particular experience, the college stepped up and allowed me to take journalism classes that second year. You couldn't take those classes until you were a junior. But since I wasn't uh, practicing, I actually had, uh, I had the chance to take classes at 4 p.m., um, uh, during football season, we had to be out of class by 1 p.m. in order to make it to practice. So, um, you know, what you're talking about, Thompson, some of that adaptability. Um, and 
my second year on the football field, I put up a thousand yards and Ron Turner called me in the office as um, we were preparing for the sugar bowl and questioned me about having an agent. And I was like, I would never do that. My plan is to finish college. I actually thought I was a Huxtable. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm like going to class and trying my best. Um, I'm owning up to my promise to my parents. I'm owning up to my obligation as a student athlete. You know, I'm, I'm playing two sports. I'm, I'm not flunking out of class. I, I feel like I'm representing well, but, and, and that worked. That was good enough. And, but when I left the office, I said, damn, I didn't know I was that good. You know, scouts were at practice watching uh, as we were preparing uh, to, to play in the Sugar Bowl. We won the Big Ten Championship that year. I had no idea that I could play in the NFL until that day. So um, that decision to play a final year and go to the NFL you know, I, I didn't necessarily ask my mother for permission, which was the tough, which was the toughest part. I was actually telling them what I was doing, and and that's what hurt them and hurt me was that most people don't go back to college once they make that decision. Um, so then, therefore, their dreams for me, I was shattering their dreams for me, and maybe even hope maybe you know what if I don't make it in the NFL and and have a career and then I don't finish college and then I'm on this um uh horrible uh cascade of uh of of not being able to get firm footing and having success in in life so that was the that was the earth-shattering moment for us as a family I mean just to put some numbers behind this right so you're going through the motions you, you come back from a pretty severe injury. And I, and at this time, I mean, you're, you're, there's still grit, this, this concept of wanting to be great, but I mean, you, you end up the second all time receiving yards leader at Illinois. I think you're second all time in touchdowns and you didn't know you were that good. I, I did. I didn't, you know, cause it was, you know, I was, you know, looking at Peter Wark on television, you know, when I was in college, I was, you know, there was just amazing athletes out there, you know, at Michigan and Ohio state and our games were on ESPN plus <laughs> my freshman year. I was like, you know, my goal was to go to one of these power five schools. And it's like, I want to be on TV. I want to be good enough to where we get on these national games and, that those first that first year was it, it it was all for the love i was playing for the pure fact that i love football and uh the second year was it, you know that's my second opportunity to get out on the field after a severe injury i mean you know there's it was more than love. I, I was out there as just, you know, I was just happy to have another opportunity to run and, and, and have that kind of freedom <laughs> to express myself on the football field. So I wasn't even thinking about in, playing in the NFL. <laughs> I, I mean, it's amazing. And, and again, we've, you and I've had a couple chats now off, off, you know, the podcast and, 
mean, it's been a pretty awesome ride for you. I mean, you've been to a Pro Bowl. You've you've caught passes from Tom Brady. Um, I imagine you've made some pretty amazing connections with certain quarterbacks. You know, when, when Kyle Orton is a bear, you have a very good year. I think he gets traded to Denver, and who follows him behind? I mean, so that chemistry, how important was that chemistry with, with Kyle? Oh, it was, it was very important. And, um, you know, the he – because he was just so uh, – he was a gunslinger when it came to being out on the football field and all the guy wanted to do was win. Um, you know, he, he was almost Drew Brees' predecessor. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, his mentality for football and his passion for the X's and O's, that was the first time I got around a quarterback who really concerned themselves with strategy and, um, and, in the why coaches are calling what they're calling and why we're running the particular plays that we're running them. And, um, and up until that point in my career, he was the most accurate quarterback I'd ever played with in the NFL. Uh, he could uh, throw the ball low and away and, uh, and put the ball and protect the pass catchers as they were uh, on routes. And so I felt comfortable with him um, uh, protecting me as I'm uh, running routes and going up for passes. I mean, he could throw um, the the top shelf uh, fade in the corner. And uh, to get particular about it, um, he had a fantastic rotation to spin on his passes. It was just like, it was to the, it flicked off his wrist. And it was to the point where when it, it landed in my hands. It was like no rotation. There was no like awkward um, uh, percussion to catch the ball. As it was at a point where I didn't even, I wasn't even really looking at it. And I was focusing on the next move uh, when catching passes from him. Um, and then uh, off the field, we shared so many interests that, it, you know, it, it was, it was just pleasurable to be around, uh, uh, Kyle and and to have a relationship with the quarterback with someone that actually like him <laughs> yeah I mean you've it's been interesting to watch your your career right and even even hearing and I didn't know the story like you're like I can't believe that you were good enough to go to the NFL and but then it clicks and you're like okay now you're on a different path yeah so, so take us back to oath. I think it's oath three. You're drafted in the fourth round. Yeah. Um, I kind of did a little bit of homework. So you were actually the 13th wide receiver off the board. So you went after Charles Rogers, Andre Johnson, Brian Johnson, Taylor Anquan Jacobs, mm-hmm. uh, Anquan Bolden, Bethel Johnson, Tyrone Calico, Kelly Washington, Nate Burleson, right. Kevin Curtis, Billy McCullen, Sean McDonald. All these guys go before you. Mm. Then you get picked in the fourth round. At the time, when you go back to this, are you are you thinking, did I make the right move or the wrong move that I'm being drafted in the fourth round? Is there ego involved? Are you just blessed to be drafted? What was that like? Anger. I was angry. And um, the, the only person happy in the NFL draft is the first overall pick. 
everybody else thinks they should have been drafted higher. Simple. Mm. So um, for me, the early projections, projections were first day, no later than uh, late second round. You know, this is what we were hearing from the, um, uh, from, from my sports agent. I was hearing that. So, uh, at that point I was all in, I had made my decision. I was, I was, I was going to the NFL. Then that happened angry. And then, um, a sense of, oh, well, I guess I just have more to prove. So that was, that was the, the next step for me was, uh, you know, that's when I really developed, I, I really developed a chip on my shoulder because I went from a, 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 a person who I didn't think that was really going to happen to me to now it's like, Oh, now I took ownership over it. And then I had to step up and, and, and become something. What's the relationship like with, with football now? I mean, you know, harnessing that anger in football makes a lot of sense, you know, um, are there things like that you learned from football that you've taken in into other areas of your life? And, and like, how would you deal with something like anger outside of football? Right. Yeah. The, and while that's what I was talking about, the, the uh, physical, the vigorous exercise. Right. Yeah. That's, that's my medicine. It's, um, you know, already don't, you know, just, Growing up in Kansas City and being in the and you know growing up in Blue Springs and you know suburbia, white suburbia, and then my all and most all my roots in the inner city of Kansas City. You know, I grew up most you know half of my life around angry people, so I was naturally angry anyway. <laughs> Even though you know I, I grew up in uh, a happy household, you know, as I have uh, had time to reflect back on my life, nothing was ever good enough. I always wanted more, um, you know, uh, I always wanted to be the fastest. As a kindergartner, I want to be faster than the, than the oldest elementary school students. I want to be better than anyone. I want, I want to have better grades than anybody. I want to, you know, it's always a competition. Um, uh, for for more which it's an insatiable appetite which always leaves someone very angry because you're never really achieving you're never really getting the end result so i think um you know and that's answering the the second half of your your question um the how do i deal with that now the exercise the 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 self-help books you know reading eckhart tolle and you know and uh um, deconstructing the ego and working on that um the hypnotherapy and you know apply kinesiology is the that's the 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 competition now uh for for me as a retired athlete because my relationship with football now is as it's, it's difficult for me to watch it. Mm. Um, it, it gives me anxiety to look at it. It, um, there's a lot of uh, stress associated with that because the ego, I can do that. I was better than that. I was faster than that. 
actually, I can still do it. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it's like, I can't do that. You know, I, and, and I'm not going to live in the past. I'm, I'm not going to go there. Um, I, I, I am capable of much more. I can do more. And so, I, you know, Berman, that's what we're talking about is what, what does one say to themselves, um, you know, to, to avoid getting uh, caught into the, you know, negative self-talk. It's that positive self-talk, the, the support group, the network that I have uh, around myself and focusing on, uh, on, on my parenting and, uh, and, and, uh, and improving myself personally and professionally. So those distract, you know, those distractions um, of, of thinking about the past don't creep up and start uh, perverting my future. You know, it's so interesting because everyone is in this competition with themselves, right? You're managing the, these conversations in your head. And, and it's interesting that you kind of pivoted from competition with everyone else, not enough. And you can still have those conversations with yourself where it's, I'm not enough, I'm, you know, I can do better. And I'm just... When did you start to real? Did you learn this when you were playing football, or is this something that you've really been working on after football? Because, I mean, that takes a tremendous amount of awareness and vulnerability, and I mean, all of the tools that you mentioned are are pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, that you have that attuneness to kind of what's going on in your head. So I'm just curious, like, wh when did that start for you? Well, um, it, it started, it started uh, when I was at the, the Washington Football Club uh -huh. um, because I signed a blockbuster deal and, 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 it, was, and it, was a diff, it was difficult circumstances. It was uh, rare circumstances to be traded and restricted free agency. So the Washington football team traded for me gave up two draft picks and gave me a, a seven year contract. So this is the moment where a player begins their career. So that all that fourth round talk, you know, all that, all that energy I put into making something of myself as a fourth round draft pick finally reaches its moment where it's like, now let's go. I can do this. I, I've proven it for three football seasons and I'm ready to take off and be the person, be the athlete everyone knows I am. And then to, to get to that team and be a starting wide receiver, you know, you know, one of, you know, 64 players in the NFL and then get 57 targets in a football season. And then the organization allowed the media to just pummel me. Uh, none of the um, uh, players would step up on my behalf. None of the coaches would take any responsibility for um, the lack of opportunity. And, um, and, and that's when it's the, that's when it was the toughest for me as a professional where it's like, I thought we're all here to win. And now I'm being made an example of in the most pivotal point 
of my uh, professional career. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when it's the outside talk, it's the uh, team, uh, the corrosiveness of the team, then um, uh, the, it's toxic in my domestic life because um, uh, that's what my um, wife saying. like, well, I heard, well, the newspaper saying, and it's kind of like, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't stopping. And so, you know, there was a shift in my mind where it's like, all right, I need to, um, uh, I, I started getting into using uh, nootropics because there was a point where there's just so much distraction and maybe there is a lot of uh, cognitive impairment that was going on. It was just difficult for me to express myself. And, 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 and so I started uh, taking Piracetam and Vinpocetine and really started dialing into uh, my mental health. Um, I started eating better. Uh, I subscribed to eat right for your type. And I, and I just started, um, to read books. (laughs) Um, um, Joel Osteen is what I was starting with. Um, And, and that's when I felt like I made the shift. And then that's what opened the doors to later in my career, getting into power tapping and uh, getting into applied kinesiology and just continuing to go down that path of of, um, of, of, of supplementation and, and the right diet and the right mentality. And I think that's what, how I emerged out of that uh, cloud, that, that cognitive cloud. You know, these are the things that Eckhart Tolle talks about in the uh, power of now. You know, that obsessive thinking that we're hearing is uh, an addiction in itself. Because, you know, when we're thinking, we could be thinking about work, we could be thinking about the weather, we could think- be thinking about car trouble, family issues, or uh, friends, or future plans, or what a great Friday night I'm about to have, right? But when we really think, when we really quiet ourselves and listen to that voice, RT, it's saying exactly what you said. It's so self-deprecating. You aren't good enough. You, you should have done better. You, you should have more money. You should, you're not man enough. You're not big enough. You're not, you know, it's like that voice is, is mean. And, and, and when we work on it, what I found is I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to do what it says. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I survive and I can move on. And then it, and then everything moves on and moves forward. It's super painful for me to hear you talk about Washington this way for all obvious reasons that we all know on this, you know, this podcast, but just to put it in perspective, since when I was four years old, there was no, I'm going to be faster than a sixth grader. It was nostalgia at play every Sunday, me and my cousin and my brother were thrown in the back of my father's car and we were going to RFK stadium Mm. or FedEx field to go watch Redskins games. And that's what we did as a family. And so, it wasn't that I wasn't an average athlete. I was a, I was a pretty decent athlete. I'm not going to getting any division one scholarships anytime soon, but, but I remember when I was finally going to meet you, I was excited. Cause I was like, what's going on with the team? Like, in fact, it was, I was part of the problem. I wasn't humanizing you. You were just another athlete on my team. And I wanted to understand what scoop was going on back there. And I even had, 
text chains, which were early days of text chains, like ask them what's going on with the team. Are they going to get it together? And then we met and it was so clear that you were more than just the Jersey that you were wearing. Mm. And um, it made me smile to do some homework on you this last couple of weeks to see like the pro bowl year you put up or like, Oh man, I forgot he caught balls from Brady, you know? And, <laughs> and um, you know, if you could, if Brandon, 2.0 could talk to Brandon 1.0. You can give advice to 1.0 version of you. What, what would you, what would that advice be now? Do it. Keep doing it. <laughs> Whatever it is, just do it. You know, that, I think that's, you know, th- that's, that's still, that's, that's still how I, how I feel about um, my journey is I would go back just to do a couple things twice, <laughs> but I wouldn't go back and alter. Like what? Yeah. What can you share? What can you share? I know. Right. You know, I'd, um, you know, I'd, uh, love to, you know, fly on that private jet again with Sheikh Muhammad from Dubai and like, go to the Indianapolis 500 and be in the pit, <laughs> right? You know, and that, that was a, a, um, an outing that I had when I was on the Washington football team. Um, and I would love to do that 2010 football season again. <laughs> like, you know, or, you know, one of those games in that season, that would be, you know, uh, if I could go back and do something twice. But, you know, going through it, it's – you know, there's there's only there's only uh, one way to live life, to to live a fulfilled life, and that was to be present. And I was present <laughs> uh, the entire time, and I'm and I'm proud of that. And all on all aspects of it, yeah, things didn't quite work out uh, the way that you know uh, a, a perfect to perfect to perfection. Things didn't work out to perfection. But um, I was present and I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, that 2010 year you're referring to is the year you, you lead the league in, I think, uh, yards. You, you go to the Pro Bowl mm. after all the naysayers, even in Washington, has to feel like slightly you know, gratifying, I imagine. Right. Yeah. And it was, and it was more, and I run into, uh, Patrick Smith at the with the Denver Broncos and uh, he's an executive at the Denver Broncos and he was running the um, um, the media relations for the team when I was uh, on that run and the final uh, my exit press conference that I'm doing over the phone it's like what what would you say to those former teams and I said I'd say fuck you yeah, and I mean that in the most professional way. And, t- and Patrick never let he never lets me live that down. <laughs> but you know, and it's more to the individuals who were the decision makers at that time. You know, it was you know mm-hmm. Vinny Serrato, you know, you know the general manager from the uh, the Washington football team, then the general manager at in Chicago who told me you're pretty much done. You know. Um, and, you know, and after my Washington experience, they did a lot to try to, um, 
hinder my progress in the NFL, put me behind the eight ball, label me with a, uh, a whole bunch of, um, uh, uh, as if I had psychiatric problems. Like these are the things that I had to deal with, <laughs> like moving forward when I left that team so that they could try to save some face uh, for letting me go two years into a seven year contract. Um, uh, then uh, Mike Nolan in San Francisco, it's just, you know, it, you know, it was more towards the people, the, um, the experiences that I had on those teams with those players, that was a completely different story. And it was uh, amazing experiences and amazing experiences interacting with those cities also. I, I can't like, when I hear your story though, I, I was, I think back to one of the posts that I, for, that I put out about courage a couple of weeks ago about a, uh, executive creative director who let me go who I was like didn't even know my name in my head like you didn't I never worked with him mm. and how important it is that there's certain people that you run into there's so much out of your control I guess you know and the irony here is Washington obviously thought they saw something in you to bring you to Washington and the very same people then didn't support you along the way mm. yeah yeah you can relate to that um, I know we're running out of time here, Thompson. What do you, you got? Any other? Well, I, I'm just I'm curious. Just one more thing. You know, obviously, you faced a tremendous amount of like change and challenges through your NFL career, and just our you know life is it's kind of like you know a roller coaster. You have ups and you have downs, and I'm just curious, like what what are like some of the the challenges that you face outside the career? You know, like after post, like when you end and what was that transition like? Mm. The um, it's a, it's a major loss of identity. Yeah. And it's um, it's like a death and it's sad. (laughs) It's um, there's a lot of uh, questions about, you know, was the, was the time worth it? You know, uh, you know, and what am I qualified to even do next? All I did was football, you know, it's really simplified to, oh, I was just playing football. So, you know, I traveled, uh, spent time alone, uh, called on the the most trusted relationships that I had from my times in the in the NFL with uh, successful businessmen who uh, didn't treat me like an NFL player. Who, um, when I was in Chicago, my neighbor when I was with the Chicago Bears, uh, we'd have cigars every um, uh, Monday night going into our going into my off day on Tuesdays, and we'd sit out by a bonfire, and his conversations would. Uh, center around drawing a parallel from his business experience and 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 NFL mm-hmm. so he's like oh yeah he's like I got I got fired two years into an eight-year contract so it's like it made it it made things um, uh, it was a grounded relationship and then there was multiple of those people and so though that's who I relied on when I was in my time of need to say, no, you didn't just play football. Actually, you're fantastic at 
um, executive decision making. Actually, you have fantastic discipline. You are uh, you picked up a new playbook seven different times. That is that is wickedly smart. Um, you know, so I, th these are the types of relationships that I needed at that time. And uh, and then the University of Illinois. Hey, uh, you know, they called me every off season. Hey, you wanna you wanna uh, finish your degree this off season? Nah, I'm making a hip hop album. They're like, all right, uh, call me, <laughs> call call back when you're ready. <laughs> they called literally every off season to see if I wanted to finish my 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 college graduate my undergraduate degree. And so I finally, when I picked up the phone that off season, I was like, yes, I'm ready. <laughs> so that's what I did. So I, I took those, I took three years off from when I retired and I just parented. I repaired a lot of relationships um, that needed repairing because I isolated myself for 11 years to play in the NFL intentionally. And so I got to repair relationships. I got to go back to school and um, I walked with the class of 2018 with my children in the stands and my parents in the stands. I mean, it was just like, you know, um, more Pro Bowl moments. <laughs> yeah. Like, like more, more uh, all-star performances and uh, shifting that mindset that made me able to um, uh, uh, have the courage to go through 11 football seasons, you know, I thank that man. I thank that man. B. Lloyd, thank you for what you did for me and the NFL and that ego. I, I needed that so bad, but I no longer need that anymore moving forward. I, I was able to put that man away and, and become a new man for moving forward. It, it seems to be a theme on, on the show. And I think maybe that's part of this whole exercise of life. It's like you come in thinking it's one thing and, and then for everybody, hopefully you, you go through it and figure out who you really are and who you want to be. And it's not, it's not bearing all those great things along the way. Like you said, it'd be fun to go back and do a few of those things that you got to do. But uh, it's awesome to hear, by the way, that you walked, that you got, you made mama happy. That's important. <laughs> and, um, I guess in closing, so you're a dad to two boys, Tried. correct? Yep. 14, how old, how old? And now, do they want to play football? No, you know they. You know it. They don't have the disposition for that. You know you have to be mean to play football, flat out. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're just not mean boys. And so if I made them do that, it would be unsafe. So mm -hmm. um, you know they're. You know, I, I, I laugh at them. They're, just, they're so cool. And they, they, they live a chill life. And they play basketball. And, you know, they're, don't get me wrong, it bothers me that they're not more competitive. But at the same time, I look at them and I say, oh, wow, they must be happier than I was when I was young because I was so angry. <laughs> and, I, and these boys are so happy and so chill. And... Um, and they, they do much better than I did in school. They have better relationships than I had when I was younger. So they're, they're doing something right. That's awesome, man. Brandon, thanks so much for giving us an hour. Great to see yes. you, bud. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Next week on the Courageous Podcast, we're joined by Apple executive Steve Wilhite.
If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars, subscribe, and leave us a comment.